going up there. You get work out. You got 10 minutes here to get yourself loosened up. And we can't worry about making a mistake. We can't, we can't be up high. You just got to go play relax. We have nothing to lose except go playing hard and play from the heart and go make some plays. And you can't play if you're worried about making a mistake. So let's just boost yourselves up. We're ready to go. Let's hear it now. One, two, three. You just heard a pregame pep talk from legendary football coach Sonny Lubick, courtesy of Denver's Nine News. Sonny Lubick is the namesake of the field at Colorado State University's new $200 million campus football stadium, as well as an underground Fort Collins steakhouse. To the diehard Rams fans, Sonny Lubick is something much more, a living legend who put Colorado State on the college football map. I'm Coloradoan reporter Jacob Laxon with another The Way It Was History podcast. I sat down with the 81-year-old former coach 25 years after he was first hired to lead the Colorado State football team. This is The Legend of Lubick. This is Sonny Lubick, and former football coach at Colorado State University, and I hate to say my age, but I'm in that 80 bracket, so we'll just keep it at that. That's fair. Just to feel, feel 65. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, that's yeah. the important thing. Yeah, right? there you go. Um, yeah, so it's sort of- Few college football coaches have a resume as impressive as Sonny Lubick. He's won both Division I and Division II national titles. He reached the pinnacle of his profession as the defensive coordinator of Miami during its early 1990s dynasty. His coaching tree, which includes Urban Meyer, Lane Kiffin, and his two sons, is still spread wide throughout college football and the NFL. Lubick coached consecutively from 1970 to 2007, jumping between four different colleges. His past players include Pro Football Hall of Famer Cortez Kennedy, Steelers great Joey Porter, and Dwayne Johnson before he was the actor and pro wrestler known as The Rock. You know, there's not many better guys than him. He's one of the best coaches ever coached a game. Lubick's former boss and national championship winning head coach, Dennis Erickson, chatted with me over the phone about what made him such a special coach. Sonny demands respect. I mean, how he handles himself, how, how he deals with people and players, and, you know, instantly you, you like Sonny Lubick, and he, you know, he was a... He wasn't a screamer or yeller, but yeller, but he uh, was able to control everything that was going on. He just great knowledge of the game of football, and he just had great rapport with the players and other coaches. He was a hard worker on the road. Well, I'll tell you what, when he was an assistant, I mean, he recruited his rear end off. One of the better recruiters I've been around. In Fort Collins, Lubick graced the sidelines of Hughes Stadium as head coach for 15 years bringing a once lackluster Colorado State program to its highest national prominence. Just ask the man who's been closely following the program for the past several Let's decades. Start off, you just want to say your name and how long you've covered CSU football. Um, Kelly Lyle, a sports writer for the Colorado, and I've been our main CSU football beat writer since 2008. Been around and working at the Colorado and since 1995. I think Sonny Lubick is almost like the identity of the program. But there was something about Sonny was, you know, the good old boy from Montana that kind of the little engine that could almost type thing. 
But for all the glamour Sonny Lubick experienced in his career on weekends, reaching those successes required a daily dedication to the game of football and the willingness to live like a gypsy. The putting in those long hours, I didn't like that. I didn't like working all day on Sundays. And nice fall of the year, nice crisp blue sky out there. We're in there watching tape, and you take a break every hour and look out the shade and see everybody's out having a good time. And you don't get home till those. Till I don't, you know, I don't miss those long days that you had to do tedious days looking at tape, breaking down film, getting ready for the next game, study, grading the previous game, things you got to put up with and do. Every job has good parts and bad parts. Well, I grew up in Montana, Butte, Montana to be exact, and it was uh, a great childhood. If we didn't, like most people in those days, I would guess didn't have much as far as uh, material, but we had all the other riches as far as a nice family, loving family, mom and dad who worked hard. Worked hard. And uh, at that time when I was going there, there we had two, two high schools in the community and they had probably in a market of, I'm guessing 70,000 people. It was a copper mining town, but now it's down about half that size from what I, I would guess. Sports quickly became an obsession for Lubick. It was a town very competitive, and football and baseball and those days basketball were about the three major sports and track and those were the things that as young people we worked, we, we competed in right, as, as our parents worked hard and tried to send us to school and get us good educations. We had great high school coaches around those times and I think that's people had to do on Friday night was go to the football game. Or, you know, if it's basketball season, but football was big, they'd get seven, 8,000 people for a football game in those days. Lubick attended college at the University of Western Montana in Dillon. Unlike most of his coaching peers, he actually didn't play football at the school. I enjoyed my time there. I went to school there and was going to hope to be an athlete, but uh, ended up... Uh, trying to play some football. I had an injury, a baseball injury there that kind of knocked me out of business for a while. But I, I enjoyed Western Montana College. I thought they had some great teachers who kind of motiv motivated me. And I probably like most college students, uh, school wasn't number one on the, on the top of my list. It was, there were other things to do, but uh, I, I did. I look back at it now and I'm very thankful and happy that I had the teachers that I did have there and even though at the time they didn't think they were getting across to to one I they did they did have some influence and uh, taught me a lot of little things and made it through school there and that school basically was a teacher's college that's what you went there for is to be a teacher and a coach and a lot of that Students I went to school with there end up being coached. A lot of my friends ended up in communities throughout the state of Montana. Their, their first jobs were small in small communities, coaching football and basketball and that. Okay, so that's perfect. Yeah. After graduating from college, Lubick would find his first coaching job. My first coaching job was at a small high school in Beatty, Nevada. 38 students in the total school. That was... Uh, that was something. I was. Uh, they didn't have enough for a football team, but we did play 
basketball. I coached the girls' basketball team also. That's when you could only have, I didn't know, you didn't even know the rules, but you could only have three on each side of the court, three oh. offense and three were defense. But uh, the, the girls, they were pretty darn good. But we, and I taught the social studies in English in the school. I drove the school bus. Lubick then found his way back to his hometown. Uh, I ended up going back to Butte, Butte, Montana, my hometown, and teaching at the public school there. And I had a great mentor there who was a, my high school coach was Jim Sweeney, who was my mentor in high school at the Catholic school. Coming back and coaching at the public school was kind of thought to be a traitor, but that's, <laughs> that's the way it went. And I, uh, in my career at Butte High School, we happened to have a good string of football players. It, it was always known it had a great reputation, one of the better programs in the state because of hardworking, mining town, uh, excellent coaches that built a program. That was just a tradition. If you could beat Butte High, you had something going. So I lucky enough to end up getting the job there. The Butte football coaching job would introduce Lubick to his longtime wife, Carol Joe. On my staff, I had a coach by the name of John McMahon, Poncho, good, good football coach. And he, we would go out to the University of Washington quite a bit in the spring to learn more about football. As coaches, we'd go out there, and Carol Joe was a nurse out there. She had graduated from Seattle University. She was originally from the northern part of the state, up, up by the Canadian border, but I never knew until I met her out in Seattle and was a nurse out there, and uh, that was uh, Coach McMahon was her in-law, sister-in-law. He married to, married to her sister, so of course, we go out to Seattle, met her, and one thing led to another, and Carol Jo gave up her, her career as a nurse at Children's Hospital out in Seattle and came back to Butte, and we got married on April 18th. After tying the knot, Carol Jo was introduced to the transient life of a football coach. We had a home there, and we lived in it. On, we bought it and left right around our, our wedding time. We lived in it the month of May, and then about the first part of June, Montana State University called and offered me a job as an assistant coach there. So that was the beginning of a, I guess she knew she was in for something that she didn't know she got into, moving around. During his tenure as a Montana State assistant, Lubick worked on small but mighty coaching staffs that included a future NFL head coach in Dennis Erickson and future Purdue head coaches Joe Tiller and Leon Burtnett. In 1976, Lubick was part of a staff that guided the Bobcats to a Division II national title. After the 1977 season, Montana State needed a new head coach, and Lubick would get the promotion. I happened to be there at, I guess, right place at the right time, and because it was a successful program, and they, you know, sometimes coach administrations will stay within. If the program was bad and everything, then they're going to look around and see if they can change everything and bring in a whole new staff, which is usually still the, I still have, I think that's still the thinking. However, there, because we had success winning a national championship, of course, with in 1976, and I took over, I believe, in 78. Lubick finished 21-19 and 19 in his tenure at Montana State, winning the Big Sky Conference in 1979. Had four years there and had a couple good years, a couple mediocre to bad years, and uh, then I was out looking for a new job. <laughs>
Find out how Lubick would come to Fort Collins after this break. You're listening to The Way It Was, a history podcast brought to you by Coloradoan Experiences. Picture this, it's a warm summer evening and you're just sitting down to a five-course gourmet dinner from one of Northern Colorado's top chefs. You're enjoying a glass of wine and getting to know the new friends sitting next to you. These pop-up dinners at a secret location are just some of the events the Coloradoan puts on each year. Visit tickets.coloradoan.com for the latest events and come join us for a dinner, a food truck festival, a storytelling night, or something else. We're excited to meet you. Lubick would next find his way to Fort Collins thanks to a recommendation from a football icon and current Pro Football Hall of Fame nominee. As, as the coach at Montana State, we'd have our camps we used to have in the summertime, like a little different than they are now, but we'd have them. But one of the individuals that would send his children there or camp watched us at practice with a, a person, a famous person by the name of Gil Brandt, who was a... Uh, he was one of the three original guys with the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. With uh, Gil Brandt had a home up in Big Sky, which was about 30 miles from our campus at Montana State. And he would come down, and we, and we became got to be friends. He'd watch us at practice, and his, he'd send his young boys to our camp and that. And then, anyway, when this happened with me, when I was let go there, he called... Uh, he called me and asked me if I'd be interested in going to Colorado State, which I didn't know much about CSU. I, you know, I followed football like you know, as a college coach would, but I was more in tune to the Big Sky Conference and that. And he said, well, I, the person who's getting the job there is from Texas, a great guy, Leon Fuller, who was a defensive coordinator at the University of Texas, and I talked to him about you. and." He'll, he's going to call you and offer you a job as their offensive coordinator without even seeing him, without anything. And so I didn't have a job, of course. That that was intriguing. And I was young and still wanted a coach. And all our children were, all three of our children, Matt, Michelle, and Mark, were born in Bozeman. And they were all young at that time. And so we pick up and Leon Fuller offered me a job and I came here on New Year's Day, whatever year that way, 82, I guess. Fort Collins was a much different town at that time. It was small, you know, completely changed in 82. And I remember driving out to Leon after we got here for a while. Uh, we were out here about a week or so. And we were all living in a, one of somebody let the coaches, of course, they didn't have money to put you up all over, but we all lived in a home down there by the country club. One of somebody, a booster, uh, Brownie McGraw and Fum McGraw, who was our athletic director, invited us to their house for a dinner. And we drove up, I think it was Horsetooth. They lived on Horsetooth. That was about the end of the city. That was the end of it. And it was, but it was a, always a nice community and that, and the campus, I. I would guess at that time might have been in the 15, 18,000 students. Now it's double the city horse tooth. Now you go all the way up past Harmony, and it's just, uh, I, I guess it's probably doubled in size since then, at least that's. But. The Colorado State football program had gone 0 12 the year before Lubick's arrival. So, you know, they used to have those bottom 10 things, and it was CSU and Kansas were always ranked in the bottom 10 and that.
As far as tradition and people in the stands, not so much. Right. Everything we were probably in our conference one of the lower teams. Like UTEP was in the conference then. That's a team you had a chance to beat. And New Mexico, all the other teams had uh, more going, more tradition, uh, more resources, and so it was difficult, difficult to compete with those te right. teams. When I first got here, we all met in one room. We had about seven coaches or six six coaches. We were all in one room with our our faces to the wall and our backs to one another. It was kind of, you get to know each other, you become closer. and So you, you just do what you have, and it wasn't that big a deal. Our weight room, we really didn't have one, as I can recall. I know Gary, Gary Sloan and a couple of us coaches went and wrestled up weights to start, to start a weight program. We had a little closet for a weight room. During Lubick's three-year stint as offensive coordinator, Colorado State got back to winning football games and finished 12-22. and 22. You could see even at that time, Leon didn't get the credit for it, but things started to change a little. You know, it takes a long time. Things would start to change slightly. Lubick then moved further west to Stanford, where he spent four seasons as an assistant coach to Jack Elway, the famed father of Broncos legend John Elway. He was a great guy. Coach Elway was just a tremendous person. Uh, he treated everybody with great utmost respect, and he had his way of doing things. Like everybody, every, we all have our own way of doing things, but he always... One thing I remember about him, whenever we have a staff meeting, he made sure everybody had a chance to offer their opinion, and he would ask you your opinion at whether he was going to take it or not. That's another thing. But he was uh, he was just a great guy, easy guy to work for. And he, of course, he was more on the offensive offensive side at that time. I went to Stanford as a defensive coach, so. Uh, sometimes that's good when the uh, when the coach when the head coach is more interest when he's over on offense they less a defense by themselves. He had a good season after that. Jack had a disagreement with the administration there with the athletic director and we're yeah, free agent again. And they were free agents again. It's, there I was. Yeah. Yeah. Old friend Dennis Erickson came calling with the defensive coordinator position. But then it just so happened when. Uh, Jack, we all got let go at Stanford. Well, then Dennis had an opening on his staff at Washington State. That's where he was then. And he called and asked, of course, you don't have a, jo a job. Yeah, yeah, I love the coach there. Well, I was really excited about getting the Pac-10 or Pac-10. I don't know what it was at 8 yeah. or 10. But <laughs> or what it is now. Yeah, what it is now. But anyway, went there with Dennis and... And getting ready for spring football. We were working at a nice, nice coach. I was going to be helping there as a defensive coordinator and working. Um, Coach Erickson, of course, he was on offense all the time, but we had a good relationship for 20 years before that. But Lubick would never coach a down for Washington State. Lo and behold, the University of Miami job come up, and that was in March, so I was living in the dorm at in Pullman. That's right, because our family was still back in uh, San Jose, waiting for the kids to get through school. So this is in March here, and my wife was just getting ready to come out and look at housing out there in Pullman. I was kind of excited for that, but lo and behold, Dennis had a chance to go to the University of Miami. Sam Jankovic, who was the athletic director, called him, and he took the job, and at midnight, we were heading out of town, 
all the coaching staff heading to the University of Miami. Erickson and his staff were replacing head coach Jimmy Johnson, who had left after an 11-1 season to join the Dallas Cowboys. So Sam Jankovic took, you know, I guess you'd say a risk and hired Dennis and a bunch of people from Washington State. You know, nobody in Miami knew who the heck Washington State was, so we came in there and under a lot of pressure because they were good football teams. And remember, we had great players, number one, as that Coach Johnson and his staff before I, we were loaded with players. I remember Tiger Clark, linebacker. I, he told me he'd come in my office and I'm a linebacker. Coach, just want to hope we can play the same style of defense we did before. But I, he looked like it, it, as big a defensive tackle as he ever had at Montana State or any place. I, he was probably an honest 6'2 or 3, 245, 50 pounds, you know, just all muscle bound. We, and we had Darren. Yeah, Darren Smith played with the Cowboys. He ran a 10 flat 100 meters, in our, and he was a linebacker for it. Jesse Armstead, who was an all-pro guy with the Giants, and with uh, he did, well, this, that was just our linebacker crew. As well, one year we had, one of our first year, we had Cortez Kennedy, and he's gone now. What a one, he was a great player. Uh, he was about nine-time All-Pro. Russell Maryland won the Outland Trophy. Willis Pegues played. Craig Mark played. We had The Rock. Dwayne Johnson was a set. He was just a young kid then. Wonderful young man he was too. Just very humble, good kid, hard worker, and that. So you, Warren Sapp was a young kid there. So to be a good coach, you got to have good football players, and that's I guess in any business you got to have some talent, and uh, they had great talent, and we continued it on after that. While the talent pool was plenty full, Coach Dennis Erickson compliments the way Lubick got the defense to play in Miami. You know, he kept it very simple. We were very talented, and we didn't do a lot of different things on defense. And he knew that. He just wanted to, to make it simple and let them run and play. And, you know, sometimes that gets – that's not like all coaches are. You know, a lot of them try to take over everything, and Sonny just let them play. It was very simple for him, and that's why we were really good. During their first season at Miami, the Hurricanes went 11-1, beating Alabama on New Year's Day in the Sugar Bowl to win the national title. They would win the national title again two seasons later in 1991 with an undefeated 12-0 season. In Lubick's four years as defensive coordinator at Miami, the team went 44-4, winning 29 straight games during one stretch. Used to win. We never lost a home game in the four years I was there, which always makes it nice after the game. You always walk out of the stadium, out of the Orange Bowl with a nice feeling. The weather was always hot and steamy hot. We played most of our games at 3 o'clock in the afternoons on Saturday, man. It was, you're out there in warm-up. You're just drenched with that. So it, I, I'm sure it had an effect on some of the teams that came in there. It had to because it was, you know, muggy, 80, 85 degrees and 85 humidity or something. But anyway, maybe we won a couple games. But those are memories that come back. But, yeah, and we, you know, could have, would have, should have, a game here, we might have, we had a chance almost to go four straight years being the number one, but we were two out of the four. And As the wins at Miami piled up, Lubick became a hot coaching candidate. As Lubick was preparing for another national title game at the end of the 1992 season, the familiar Colorado State program gauged his interest. 
We had a good thing going for us. We're, and my job being that I was defensive coach, we had great defensive players and had them coming back, lined up. Uh, but anyway, the job opened up. One old friend lobbied especially hard for CSU to hire Lubick. person that I always kid him, he's still here in town today, was John Schmidt and his, his wife there. They were, but John, especially, he owned Gojo Sports. And he was campaigning for me because we were friends when I was here. And he was out campaigning and doing a great, uh, great thing. I think he was going to the president, going to any booth that would listen to him. And they come through his Gojo Sports store. I told him, I said, John, you're going to get fired. <laughs> uh, and that, but I, they contacted uh, uh, me and one thing led to another and come out here. It was kind of a funny thing. I talked to Dennis about it, and he says, you know, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but if I end up going to the NFL, you could be, like to have you come with it, or you might have a shot at this job. You know, but, you know, you never know. Those things that easy to say, but to make a, a long story short, I guess, after skipping through some parts of it, I did come out for, I told Dennis, he said, yeah, go ahead and interview, but we were preparing for our, that's when we were preparing for our last bowl game at uh, Sugar Bowl, we were playing Alabama and that. But anyway, we came out here and I was supposed to get out here on a, I think I could only be here, because we were preparing for the bowl game, it was in December sometime, and the bowl game, of course, was New Year's Day, and uh, come out, and supposed to get here like, three or two in the afternoon, my flight was late, broke down, something. I didn't get here until 11 o'clock at night. So I was supposed to have some interviews during the day, so those were all gone by the wayside. And then I, I was on a flight the next day at noon heading back. I had to go back, we practiced in that next day. And so I came in here and they, they got to one committee that met me and I stayed at the Holiday Inn. They had a room in the Holiday Inn or a conference room there. I went to the Holiday Inn there and there were about 10, 12 people in there. I can almost remember most or some were guys that played when I was here. And I, th I said, I think this is a stacked deck. <laughs> but they interviewed me and Jim Francis, we always kid, he just retired from the business college here at CSU. He was the, he was the football, what do you call him, they are athletic representative for everything. And so he was on, he was the chairman of the board and they went in, I, they had their meeting. I met there, met with them. I think I might've met with one other person. They shipped me over fast to see the president, Dr. Yates, Al Yates, who's a very good man. We became good friends and uh, I'm here and boom, I got in the car and went back to the airport and they called me and offered me the job on my way back to the airport. From here, and one thing led to another. Carol, Joe, we weren't so sure. I, you know, because it was a tough decision, but because you had things going so good at Miami there, we're gonna still continue to win games and things like that. But I decided to challenge, and uh, you know, the atmosphere of Fort Collins, the atmosphere of CSU, and uh, I know even though we, the tradition of winning, winning, wasn't top notch. In fact, it was less than less than less than average. Uh, we uh, I took the job and on New Year's Day or 
yeah, maybe the Sugar Bowl is always the last, no, Orange Bowl is the last game. We played it down there in Louisiana and New Orleans, and the next day I was on a flight here. And I, in fact, I stayed my first three or four months with John Schmidt and his wife at their house, and I hired, had my staff hired and came in here and never knowing what, what would happen after that, just take another challenge. Find out what challenges awaited Lubick when he returned to Fort Collins after this break. You're listening to The Way It Was, a history podcast brought to you by The Coloradoan. At The Coloradoan, we have 20 journalists who live in and love Fort Collins just as much as you do. This community is our home, and we're committed to digging in on local government, providing you in-depth breaking news coverage, making sure you're up to date on the latest things to do, and bringing you up to the minute sports scores. The fact of the matter is, we can't keep doing what we love to do. Things like this podcast, without your support. Consider signing up for a digital subscription today at coloradoan.com slash podcast offer. Thanks for reading and listening. Right prior to his arrival, they had started to turn the corner a little with Earl Bruce, um, who was then forced out by the university president at the time, Albert Yates, for alleged verbal and even some physical abuse of players at practice. Longtime Coloradoan reporter Kelly Lyle said Lubick returned to Fort Collins to find a much different program than his previous stint as offensive coordinator in the 1980s. That was kind of a, a tough thing because Earl Bruce had taken a program that had been consistently, the LA Times used to do a bottom 10 of college football. And Colorado State was kind of a perennial, uh, they were in that pretty regularly during the uh, during the 1980s, late 70s, it, it was not uncommon for CSU teams to be there. And they had teams that went, you know, one in 10 and, uh, you know, two and nine. And it, there was not a lot of success. And uh, to all of a sudden, they kind of, Earl Bruce got them back to where they, you know, they kind of were back to respectability in his first couple years. And then really he brought in some talent that then helped Sonny most of those players, those first couple years when Sonny really took the program to that next level, a lot of those guys he was doing it with were players who would come in to play for Earl Bruce. So. After all the dominant success at Miami, Lubick would need patience early on in his first season as Colorado State head coach. We stuck with our plan, which was just to be as good and to see if we can improve. And I remember we were going through the season and we were Two and six. We were two and six. I think this could be another typical year with two or three wins, CSU. That's, and we caught fire. We just caught fire. And I, I guess our, we went down to New Mexico, or UTEP, and they, they were up and down those days. I think we put 50 on the board, which for, I don't know how we could score 50 with air out there and with, with nobody on the field. But I think it was a game that everything clicked right. But we, you could see we had we started to have some players, Ray Jackson, Andre Strode, uh, Greg Meyer. We had a secondary. When you think back now, you look back, that was as good as you could ever have. They were, those kids were uh, top quality. We went in our last game, we went up to Wyoming, and they were going to go to the championship. They beat us. They would be the champs and go to a major bowl game. In those days, they didn't have all the bowl games. Our conference maybe had two 
or so, and they were cinched red. Usually BYU was already, but we go up to Wyoming, man. We played solid, ran the ball, played good defense, and I think we beat. Coach Tiller was their coach, and as I remember earlier, he and I coached our stuff, kind of started our coaching careers back at Montana State, but then we ended up, what you say, a five and six season with a big win against a very good Wyoming team. We've, you know, and then we start probably maybe the players start thinking they could win some games. They and the culture gradually began to shift a little bit. We all, you know, confidence is a great thing. We built a little confidence amongst each other, and coaches got along well. The players and they saw that, and then the next year we just took off. Lubick's Rams followed up their strong finish in 1993 by winning their first five games in 1994. Then a nationally televised game at top-ranked Arizona loomed on the schedule. In the preseason, they were ranked number one in the Sports Illustrated. They were known as the Desert Swarm. Their defense, nobody scored, and they're they're in the pack. They were killing people, and and you watch, man. I'm talking to our kids Thursday night. We're going Friday down to Tucson. I think, man, what the hell are we getting into? We went down there, and those kids, I can still see them in that locker room that they believed, I'm thinking, I didn't. Yeah, I thought, gee, if we can come out of here alive, I'd be happy. Colorado State would pull off a stunning 21-16 upset in a game Coloradoan reporter Kelly Lyle ranks as CSU's best win in program history. Quarterback Anthony Hill hit wide receiver Justin Schull for two touchdown passes, and defensive end Sean Moran returned a fumble 77 yards for a touchdown. And we didn't get back to the hotel about 11 o'clock down. The kid, everybody's so damn excited and uh, happy. And I heard him going down the aisle. I, you got an hour to get eat. You got to be back in your room by, we'll give you till 12.30 or 1. And then I, haul, I kind of undercut him a little. I said, hey, just be back for the bus at 8 in the morning. That's all. We're leaving here at 8. And darn, all those kids were ready to go. They were there. And we said, can you always remember staying up all night with Kelly and, and Jerry, you know, he didn't stay up on fun. We're there. We we had a nice time celebrating. It was just a great uh, And the coach, Tom Jurich, was our athletic director then. And it was, yeah, victories like that or bring back memories that you would, that one would never forget. And then I called my wife, or she called me one after the game. She was so excited. They watched it on television. And she said, You can't believe the town is going crazy. She, the, Elizabeth Street, you could hear the people are honking horns and everybody. And our youngest son, Mark, he had his date there. They had a prom or something going on that evening, a dance early in the year. And he and a bunch of his, couple of his friends, because he was playing for Fort Collins High, and, and they brought the dates. So instead of going to the dance, they came watch the game at our house <laughs> on television and that. So, yeah, when we came back that day, I guess we, our bus, Left, we probably got back here at one or two in the afternoon by the time we hit the bus to the airport, fly here. And when we drove up to Moby there where we would disembark, uh, there there might have been a thousand people there. So that that's the kind of the, man, you know, they, people do get excited here. And that. CSU would finish the season 10 and 2, ranking as high as 10th in the country in the Division One AP poll. They lose to Michigan in the Holiday Bowl, but Lubick's transformation efforts would earn him National Coach of the Year honors from Sports Illustrated. Shortly after that college football season had ended, Dennis Erickson had left Miami to take over the NFL's Seattle Seahawks. 
Lubick was a top candidate to replace him in South Beach. There was mutual interest from uh, you know, us and from, from Miami and things kind of went on and he had a nice thing going here. And so you know, all, every time decisions, sometimes those decisions are easy to make and sometimes they are very difficult ones to make. This was a, this was a very difficult decision to make and, and uh, they had interest they, and they were looking at other people also, but I, there was interest. I love the AD there, Paul D was a wonderful guy Miami, and we had a good AD here, and Tom Jurich, and the president, Al Yates, was good to me. So, uh, you know, it's good. You look to see you want to go maybe more limelight, more supposedly big time, stay here where you got something, you're building something good, and there you are, and everybody put their opinion in, but you still had to make a decision on your own at the end. Lubick ultimately stayed in Fort Collins. His Rams followed up with winning campaigns in 1995 and 1996, the program that went 11-2 in 1997, winning their final nine games of the season, including a 35-24 victory over Missouri in the Holiday Bowl. It was Lubick's first bowl win as CSU coach. Uh, yeah, beating Missouri, that was big. I didn't realize it. I thought go, getting to the bowl game for me was just a great thing. I was kind of confessing my fear. It was just good to, that we could be good enough to get to the holiday because that was something special. But then after winning one, you could see the excitement that the fans had because they had, we had a lot of people down there. And uh, I remember going to the ballroom. We were upstairs in the room after I saw our entire You work all week, you get the game. It takes a lot of, you're, you're twisting and turning with every play and every call. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you want to go and relax up in your uh, room with a few of the coaches, which we did, and they, somebody sent some, one of the alums said, you got to come downstairs to the ballroom. They're waiting for you guys. I'm going. And we went down there, and I never saw the excitement like that. It was just packed. I don't know how many thousand people they fit in the ballroom, but they were all so excited about CSU. So I guess that's what makes it the fun part is the satisfaction that having a good team and the players themselves, they're good feeling, they get out and the fans, a good satisfaction they get out of it. That's that's what's satisfying to the coaches to see to see the happiness that we could help bring and share with other people. Lubick would post ten straight winning seasons at Colorado State. The Rams made a bowl in five straight seasons from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand three as the program reached a state of stability never before seen at the school. Things just started to happen. Guys gain more confidence. Recruits kind of now they see you on television. They start respecting you a little bit more. And before that time, we didn't have that exposure, so to speak. And now that we have exposure with ESPN Thursday night games, plus we were getting the bowl games, plus winning some championships. Well, yeah, I'm not saying recruiting was any easier. You still had as coaches, we worked just as hard. But we got a chance to get maybe a player that we wouldn't have uh, got. Plus, the school was behind us, the administration uh, supporting the people, supporters, and so uh, it's just like you get something going, you don't screw it up, and then once it goes bad, it's kind of hard to get it going again. And uh, we had it going good for 10 years there, pretty darn good. While Lubick was still head coach in 2003, the Rams renamed their stadium Sonny Lubick Field after the program's winningest coach of all time. 
Few at that moment could forecast Lubick's awkward exit would come just four years later. Coloradoan reporter Kelly Lyle was the one to break the news to the Rams faithful at the end of the 2007 season. Very few coaches get to leave on their own terms. Very rarely does a football coach win his final game and walk off into the sunset saying, I'm done coaching. That just is so rare. We all kind of knew it was coming to an end. They're playing Wyoming at Hughes Stadium. I know it was, uh, you know, I was sent to go do a story on basically reaction of players, fans, whatever, to if this was indeed Sonny Lubick's last game. I, and so the minute the game ended, I went right up to Wyoming coach Joe Glenn on the field, CSU won. He and Sonny had just shaken hands, and I walked over and I started walking off the field toward the locker room with Joe Glenn and just talking to him. I knew he and Sonny had known each other for a long time. They were rivals, but also friends. And, uh, and, I, and I asked him exactly that question. I said, so Joe, if this was indeed Sonny's last game at CSU, what do you think he's meant to the Mountain West Conference, to the CSU program? And he goes, oh, it was his last game. He just to he told me so before. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, he told me they're firing him. And I remember I, Tony Pfeiffer didn't believe me when I got back up to the press box. I had to actually replay the tape recorder of Joe Glenn saying it because he didn't believe me. They made it official the following Monday. But uh, that was kind of a shock, and it was a really tough way for everybody probably to find out. At a final press conference, Lubick acknowledged his departure and reflected upon his 108 victories in 15 seasons as the head coach at Colorado State University. The cruel nature of the coaching business once again offered no immunity, even to a legend. He was let go after three losing campaigns in four seasons. Lubick had been a victim to the own standards he set for the program. Because you hate to go through that, everything to put your family through, and you always can rationalize that, well, what the heck, we sh you know, that's not right, we should get another year or two. Every, every coach goes to go through, like, and you can make up, everybody can make reasons why you should or why you should. It depends which side of the fence you're on, but uh, yeah, it hurt at the time, but as time went by, you there's more important things in life than uh, being a coach all the time. I guess the way it happened, says the way it happened. You just got to get over it. That's the thing. And sometimes it's hard to get over it, but I think the people who are the best are the ones who get over it the quickest. You just got to say, hell, what it is, you did the best you could. It's a good job. You try to treat people right. You try to do the right thing. Were you perfect? No. Did you make some mistakes? Yeah. Did we win a lot of games? Yeah. Okay, but so it's not like you did something right. underhandedly or you did something bad. You just, they want to yeah. move on in a new direction. And uh, you just got a little bit more power to them. And but it might be better for me. I one professor came up to me and said, when he heard, I happened to be walking, clean out my desk. He said, well, they set you free. And, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's how you got to kind of look at it. You know, you got, there's, there's other things out there. Yeah. Sports fans read the sports page, and so they know who's getting let go, who's not, and that's big. But there's other people out there in other professions, things aren't working out, they got to go find new jobs and do all these things that people never hear about. So that's, that's part of it. You just got to, I guess if you had it to do over again, I would rather than let it bother you for a while, you just got to let it go and, no, you didn't. You did the best you could. That's all you can do, and 
You go down and it works out, it didn't work. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. While he hasn't coached at the school since 2007, Lubick has taught a leadership course and maintained an office at CSU ever since he was hired away from Miami. He and wife Carol Joe are still plenty busy with football, following their son's coaching careers. Matt Lubick, who also apprenticed under Dennis Erickson at Oregon State and Arizona State, is currently the co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach for the University of Washington. Mark Lubick, who won a Super Bowl 50 ring with the Denver Broncos, is now an offensive coach with the Buffalo Bills. And while Sonny Lubick now watches football as a fan from the stands, his lifetime of coaching memories, including big wins and losses, are still very alive in his mind. Number one, I was going out to practice. You like the strategy of the game, going in there and working and seeing if what you're putting down on paper will actually work out in the field. And, you know, motivating the players. And then when it's all said and done, of course, it's the, everybody says this, relationship, the friendships you had with the coaches and the players and good to see them come back. And, you know, if you didn't, if you had a regret, it's, Sometimes you wish I could have done a little bit more for this kid or been a little bit more patient for that kid or something like that. That's it for this month's episode of The Way It Was, a history podcast. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving us a rating and review through your Apple Podcasts app. And since you listen to this, you're probably a Rams fan. So be sure to follow Coloradoan reporters Kelly Lyle and Kevin Lytle as CSU football continues this fall. If you'd like to support the work we do here at the Coloradoan, from Kelly and Kevin's coverage to things like this podcast, consider signing up for a digital subscription. We love bringing you the best in community news and can't do that without your support. You can do that by going to coloradoan.com slash podcast offer. Regular host Aaron Udell will be back next month with a new episode. Be sure to tune back in then. <laughs>